the Holy Gospel according to John, chapter 21. Glory to you, after he appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net of shore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. On this third Sunday of the Easter season, we continue our journey with the Gospel of John, and it's telling of the first Easter season, that one being different than absolutely any season ever since, because that first Easter says, John, the risen from the dead Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, literally, came to his followers to walk with them and to talk with them and to tell them they were his own. He was seen by them with their own eyes. He was touched by them with their own hands, and he was worshipped 
by them as they bowed their own knees and fell at his feet. One day, our second reading for today from Revelation says, one day at the end of all days as we know them here, one day at the beginning of whatever the heaven forever looks like, one day all flesh, all creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bend their knees and bow down to worship him. In the meantime, Jesus told his followers, go into the world to begin life, forever life, now by living your lives here and now fully and abundantly alive starting even now for come what may in life here and now yours from me from Easter are peace and faith and hope and love to know and to share with all. Luke says that that first Easter season was 40 days long that's how long the risen Christ was yet on earth to appear to his followers, which he did many times. John, in this journey we've been taking with him this season, tells us a few of those times, like outside of that tomb on Easter morning where he appeared to Mary Magdalene, speaking her name even as she grieved. And later that same day on Easter evening, appearing to the ten, of the disciples who were in that locked room huddled for fear when he came to give them that peace of God that passes all understanding in place of their fear. And eight days later in that same room where he came to again where Thomas who hadn't been with them the last time but said he didn't believe a word of it when they told him about it. He came, Thomas was with them this time, and Jesus appeared to them again specifically to come find doubting Thomas, who believed it doubt-free for the rest of his life. Even when tradition says he was martyred for believing, he kept on believing it, as did they all. For they had seen and believed, and come what may and come what did, they never stopped proclaiming that Jesus Christ lives, and in him all who believe will live too, even though they die. Matthew's Gospel says that Jesus told Mary Magdalene and another Mary outside the tomb on Easter morning to tell the disciples that he would appear to them back home in Galilee. This final story in John's Gospel takes place back home in Galilee on the Sea of Galilee where a number of them we're from fishing villages there, where we now find seven of those disciples, including Simon Peter, who says to the others, I'm going fishing. No reason is given. Maybe he needed some quiet time out on the lake to wrap his mind around some of all of this, could be. Or maybe given the fact that he'd been fishing his whole life, he's like some of the other fishing enthusiasts I've known in my life who always have gear and a tackle box in their trunk no matter where they are, and given an hour to spare and some water nearby, they just inevitably say, I think I'll just drop something in and see if they're biting today. Whatever the reason, the others said fishing sounded good to them too, and they put out boats and ended up staying out all night, but they didn't catch a thing. Now it's just starting to get light. And they see this guy on the beach about a hundred yards in, but they couldn't tell who it was. It was still a little dark. The guy shouted at them, you didn't catch anything, did you? They said no. Someone told me that is probably the first and the last true fishing story that's ever been told. 
but he got nothing. Throwing it back, not a one. Any big ones get away, nada. Any hits or strikes, zilch. You didn't catch anything, did you? The guy said, no, they said, and it was a true story, but then the truth got interesting. Try the other side of the boat, the guy said. Now, according to Luke's gospel, something similar to this had happened a few years earlier, except that time it was light, and the disciples could see Jesus. They just, at that point, didn't know who Jesus was. At that time, Peter had actually kind of rolled his eyes and said, yeah, right, like, you know, I've been fishing this lake my whole life, guy. You think you know it better than I do? But he did it anyway, and a miracle happened. And Peter then left it all behind at the side of the Sea of Galilee to follow him from then on. Now in John 21 comes the same kind of same story, except this time, instead of not knowing who this Jesus guy was on the beach, this time it was too dark to see that this guy on the beach was Jesus. And it was different too this time, because for whatever reason, even without knowing who it was and without any eye rolls, they did what the guy said, which actually sounds kind of true to me too, because the fishers I know, they always pay attention. Their ears are always listening for somebody who says, I hear they're biting over there. So they did what the guy on the beach said, and boom, just like that, so many fish pounded into their net, they couldn't even haul it into the boat. The disciple whom John we've learned kind of cryptically calls the disciple whom Jesus loved was the first one to put two and two together. He did the math and he said to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, John says, in a verse that is just so odd, it just about has to be true, then jumped up, put his clothes on because he was naked, and then jumped into the lake. Most say he probably actually did have a loin cloth um, girding key areas as opposed to being naked naked while he was fishing, but it would have been completely normal for him not to be fully clothed while he was fishing. What doesn't seem normal, of course, what seems pretty counterintuitive is getting fully dressed then to jump in the lake. Water safety experts these days would advise otherwise. Some suggest he wasn't thinking straight. Surely joy as joyful as Easter joy could do that for a person, I imagine. Others suggest that no, this may not make sense, um, water safety expertly speaking, but spiritually speaking, it makes every bit of sense. Because in the Mideast, then and for that matter still now, it would have been spiritually disrespectful not to be covered in the presence of the Lord. Then there are others who take that kind of thought further by hearkening back from this story to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve, after they had disobeyed God, are ashamed of both their nakedness and the naked truth of their sin. And so they hide from God, not wanting nakedly and fully to be seen by God. Did Peter feel any shame about any sin or naked truth he was trying to cover because it was more than he could stand to name even to himself, much less to Jesus? Hmm. 
hold that thought. In any case, with Peter swimming and the others rowing and dragging the full net behind them, all find their way to the shore where Jesus has a fire going and a shore breakfast already grilling. Bring me some more fish, he says, and they did. In the meantime, they counted them because this was a fish story that was going to be told. And there were 153 of them. Because this was a true fishing story, he doesn't say, and they were this big. And they ate. John doesn't say specifically, but Luke elsewhere does say that the risen Christ ate too. Luke says that he said that because some of the disciples were thinking that he was a ghost and he wanted to prove that one thing the Easter story isn't is a ghost story. Which I'm sure is actually the main point of that um, Jesus age 2 detail. But by way of full disclosure, I want to tell you that uh, I kind of like that detail for another reason because, um, well, what can I say? I enjoy eating. And this scene leaves me smiling at the possibility that when we one day have the resurrected bodies that the Lord of Easter says we one day will have, maybe some of those, those biblical images of heaven as a feast will turn out to be literally true. I mean, gosh, this story even gets me imagining there will be grills up there. <laughs> Ribeyes and brisket. I mean, this, this sounds heavenly to me, I'm just telling you. But back to the story where breakfast is now over, but the charcoal fire is still throwing out some heat when Jesus, just with Peter, steps aside a few feet and asks him a question three times. Hmm. Remember the thought we were keeping in mind about whether or not Peter had any naked truths he was ashamed of still? It wasn't that long ago at all that a few feet away from the last time John mentioned a charcoal fire, Peter had also been asked a question three times. You're one of his followers, aren't you? Was the thrice-asked question that time. Just hours after, around another meal, Jesus had given his followers what he called a new commandment to love one another as he had loved them. And then he had said to them, and now I have to go, and you cannot follow. And Peter then had jumped up and said, I don't know about these guys, but I will lay down my life for you rather than ever not follow you wherever you go. And then just a little later, three times he's asked, you're one of his followers, right? And three times, each time louder, the last time cursing, for added oomph. He said, are you kidding me? I have no idea who that guy is. And now comes this next time John mentions a charcoal fire and another question, this time from that guy. He disavowed. The Lord of Easter and the cross and the commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Peter, Jesus asked him now, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. By the way, and interesting, 
Many of you know that in Greek there are several words which are all translated by the English word love. Interestingly, in this exchange, this loving exchange, in the Greek, Peter and Jesus actually use two different words. It just doesn't show up in our English translation. Jesus uses the word agape, which is the same word he used in that new commandment to love one another the way he loves. Agape is the highest love there is because it's not just an emotion that you feel, it is actions that you take. It is, it is love that you do, and you do it even if you don't get anything back for doing it because agape love isn't in it for getting something back. Agape love is love so pure that it just does what it does without requiring anything back for loving. Agape love is the kind of love that you do even if it's totally a one-way one street. Agape love, in other words, is the kind of love that is required, for example, to take up a cross and to ask God to forgive those who are nailing you to it. Peter, in his response, doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word phileo. It's at the root of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Do you agape me? Jesus said to Peter. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo is kind of love between friends. It's a good thing, but it's mutual. Jesus says, feed my lambs. He says to Peter again, do you agape me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Then he says to Jesus a third time, but now in the Greek it's a different thing actually. The third time, Jesus uses the same word Peter had used, when the third time he says to Peter, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter feels hurt. John writes and says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I brotherly love phileo you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then, because he does know everything, Jesus tells Peter what loving him will eventually mean. And it'll be costly. Peter's going to end up on a cross of his own. And then, now, Jesus re-invites Peter to that commitment he had boldly made and boldly failed at the last time he'd made it. Follow me, he says. And Peter did. Because this side of Easter, Peter didn't have any fail left in him. Because this side of Easter, he didn't have any fear left in him. Including now this side of this exchange after this Easter shore breakfast, he no longer had any fearful shame. That the denial he had denied Jesus with had somehow changed the love, the agape love, the unconditional love that Jesus did love him with. Different people make different things about that agape and phileo thing going on here. Agape, love one another as I have loved you, Jesus had told his disciples, and then he now does ask Peter, do you agape love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I do phileo love you. I make this of that. Agape love is the love of God. And we on our own for sure can't love as God loves. But Jesus can. 
And Jesus does. Even when that takes him to a cross. And even when it takes him to you. And whatever is the naked truth that he already does know about you. And still, unconditionally, with agape love, he loves you, naked truth and all. Do you, agape, love me? Jesus says to Peter a second time, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo love you. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. I make this of that. Peter's a truth teller. And he tells the truth that unlike Jesus, he can't, we can't either, certainly not on our own, love with the kind of love that is God's love. All any of us can do in terms of faith or love is meet Jesus with whatever degree of either we've got, which sometimes isn't all that much, right? But here's the truth. The risen Christ doesn't meet us where we aren't. The risen Christ meets us where we are. He meets Peter in his ashamed, but nevertheless still phileo love. Just as last week he met Thomas in his doubt and his love for certainty. As in our first lesson today, he met Saul in his certainty that he was dead right, when in fact he was wrong, dead to rights. As here today, he comes to meet you in the only place he could meet you, which is the place, the true place, where truly you are. And there, knowing everything, he says, here this morning in another meal, he says, I love you. Do you love me, he then asks. And you reply with whatever it is you can reply with at this moment in time, because that's where he met you. And he, because his love is unconditional agape love, then says to you, and whatever it is you bring, I can work with that. Be my church. Amen.